is Talk of the Town on 1290 CJBK. And welcome to Talk of the Town on 1290 CJBK. My name is Dan Gall, along with Marion Boyd and Bob Metz on left, right, and center. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Dan. This is the final show of the year, and I guess of the century, uh, mm-hmm. here in 1290 CJBK. So well, The 1900s, anyway. We won't get into that. <laughs> we won't get into that. That's <laughs> right. Let's not go there. <laughs> a big dispute. <laughs> um, so if you haven't had a chance to talk to Bob or Marion, or if you have and, and would like to talk to them again before we close out the year, give us a ring at 643-1290. Star 1290 on the Cantel Network are our numbers. If you'd like to uh, speak with Marion and, 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 and Robert and, and talk to, uh, us about left, right, and center. We were talking just to, at the very beginning of the top of the hour, we were talking about um, how driving from uh, Peterborough to uh, home yesterday and on uh, a radio, local radio station, a talk station in Toronto, they were, it was the lead story was the condition of their emergency room and how disastrous it has been for Torontonians to find emergency health care. Uh, during it's the been Christmas. a huge problem. You don't really see uh, executives of hospitals and uh, a paramedics speaking out the way they have been about a problem that has been uh, only getting worse. Uh, it it it's apparently is not a problem that is solved by throwing money at it, or at least announcing money. I mean, most of the hospitals will tell you they haven't actually seen the dollars. They've just heard the announcements. But it, it really is a serious problem, and it's uh, it's not just a problem in uh, uh, in Toronto. Uh, you, uh, you were in Peterborough. Peterborough has had crowded emergency rooms. In right. fact, there have been some very serious cases that have arisen in the Peterborough hospitals. It's happened in Ottawa. It, 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 we've been fairly fortunate here, although we know that particularly with that old emergency facility at, uh, at Vic Hospital. Until we get our new emergency facilities here, it's very difficult for uh, physicians and nurses working in emergency uh, to, uh, to manage when there's a huge influx of, of patients, either because of accidents, because of, uh, of the flu, um, it really becomes very serious. Now, Steve Garrison had mentioned earlier this morning on the program, we were doing our roundtable, and he had said that, you know, the, the emergency rooms in London were very, very busy over the Christmas holidays and probably still are. And he was discussing or talking about having, uh, and maybe, uh, Marion, you could uh, talk, discuss this as, as well, with regards to uh, being assigned a team of, of uh, physicians to take care of you rather than having your selection or choice of a family doctor. Uh, I believe the Ontario government is the one that's proposing this, and it's getting some very strong mixed reaction. Well, these proposals have come forward from a lot of different areas. Uh, in fact, there is, as you probably know, a, a pilot project going on uh, in the Chatham-Kent area uh, where uh, what what happens is there's a, what we call rostering. In other words, the, the government looks at the mix of patients in a practice and and does a calculation by age and sex. Unfortunately, it's not very it's not a very good calculation because it's just by age and sex at this point, and then pays that practice what they estimate it would cost in an average year for them to do total care of those patients, and then they the the physicians in that in that primary care group are responsible for 24 hour a day, seven day a week care. And any any referrals to specialists need to go through the the uh, family physician uh, rather than people shopping around for specialists uh, shopping with other physicians. Mm-hmm. If people 
are out of town and go to another physician, then there's a transfer of dollars between the physician that you see out of town and your physician. But also the ability of the physician out of town to talk to your physician about any records and that sort of thing. So what do you think of that? Well, I think that's where we have to go. I mean, if you pay physicians on a fee-for-service basis, first of all, so it's piecework. Yes. You only pay for treatment of illness or injury. Uh, there is no incentive for physicians to work with patients to educate them about what's a serious medical problem, needs immediate attention, and what they can do themselves to deal with it. This mm -hmm. is the old cold routine. It doesn't help to go to a physician if what you've got is a cold. But right now, we have the, there's, there's, there's very little incentive, very little uh, uh, way for physicians, given the fee-for-service basis, to really talk to patients and educate them and work with them. The group practice idea would have in place probably nurse practitioners or nurses to do that educational function because it would save money in the long run. Mm. Uh, there are many, many things that nurse practitioners, for example, can do uh, as well, or in some cases perhaps even better than physicians. Taking the histories, dealing with well babies, uh, dealing with uh, minor stitching, uh, that sort of thing. Um, those are all things that can save the expert and skilled physician for what the physician is trained to do. And if we make full use of the full range of health professionals, you could only do that if you have some mechanism for paying them. So if you pay the practice for the total care, then you have a mechanism mm -hmm. for being able to, to ensure that you have that. And you have that built-in incentive for everybody in that practice to minimize the costs and, and to, to uh, work at building wellness as opposed to simply treating illness or injury. Bob, what's your take on that? Well, the whole thing's frightening to me. Um, we're talking about a medical system that's going to allow us less choice, going to ration health care, going to tell us what doctor we're going to be able to see. Uh, it's all, this is all inevitable as long as the government runs everything. And all of these, the mechanism for paying a doctor should be from patient to doctor. But that was taken away from us about 20 or 30 years ago when most Ontarians, for example, 82%, had private health care insurance when they brought in a universal social plan and made a lot of the private health care options illegal. They make uh, private practice of certain types of medicines illegal. Um, we're not going to improve the health care system in any way, shape, or form, certainly not by throwing money at it because it's already... Uh, it, the system itself is corrupt, and I don't mean to say that people in it are, are, are you know... Although some are. Well, there may be, <laughs> but... But nevertheless, I w that's not my point. The system itself is corrupt because it has di dissected the connection between the patient and the doctor, which is a very important one, that economic one. And, uh, you know, if, if the patient doesn't like the, what the doctor's results are, he can go elsewhere and take his money elsewhere. But that doesn't happen in a socialized health care system. But what would happen in this kind of a situation, Dan, would be a, it would be a, a, a quality control uh, situation. First of all, if you have it that way, you can actually look at what the pattern of use of physicians is. Mm -hmm. Right now, I mean, uh, having done traveling the province and listening to both patients and healthcare professionals talk about what the problems are, you hear stories, particularly from seniors, about uh, physicians who encourage them to go back weekly or bi-weekly uh, for uh, a blood pressure check, for example, instead of instead of encouraging self-care, which is quite possible with relatively inexpensive 
uh, personal blood pressure meters or by going to a drugstore or other, other location. You know, like when you have the government paying for it and then the patient himself is not responsible directly for that pay payment, isn't it inevitable that that's what's going to happen? If what you're doing is a fee-for-service basis, yes, absolutely, Bob. And how do we know that wouldn't happen if we were paying the physician directly? I mean, well, really, the issue is to, it, the, well, you still have a choice of physicians, and that's, that's where, you're not assigned a physician. Okay. The idea of this, and, and certainly the College of Family Physicians, would, would really resist very seriously the fact that you weren't allowed to, to choose a physician or you weren't allowed to move if you were dissatisfied with the results. I think, think you'll find that there are ways that you can build into the mechanism a way to switch doctors. There's an example of this uh, What's program. What's wrong with choice? So why, do you, why does the government have to be doing all this? And well, all Bob, you don't agree with any kind of socialized medicine at all. And, and you're, not when so, it's destroying the medicine. So you're not going have. to try and deal with the problems as they exist within the existing system because all you want to do is end the system. system. Mary. No, the, the problems are the not problem. the system. The problems are that the system was set up to try and deal with people like you in the medical profession who people still like wanted to be ent entrepreneurial. It doesn't, I do not believe that our health care should be an entrepreneurial system. Well, it should I, be I a system dedicated to, to dealing with everybody. When you say you, a person should pay their physician directly and that the relationship has been destroyed by dealing, because you're not handing 20 bucks or 100 bucks to your doctor every time you go, I would disagree fundamentally and say that the person, the person who says that is a person who is, is, is assured of always having the dollars to pay, number one, and the person who sees a relationship so based on an, economic, on an economic yeah. basis as opposed to a trust basis and a service basis. And that has been a really serious problem. The well, I've serious never, I've had, basis. I've had a great deal of difficulty service trusting basis. civil servants and people who are getting their money regardless of what results they may produce or may not produce. And, and it just seems that no matter what everybody talks about in terms of solutions, it always boils down to more money, even though the same people who are asking for, mon for more money are saying more money won't help the system. You see, I don't believe it would cost more money if we did this. I believe what's costing us money. Let me, let me just tell you what I think is costing us money. It's costing us money that we have a system that encourages people to do deal only with illness and injury, that doesn't encourage a wellness option. It discourages me that we are not doing the preventive health care. Only about 1% of that $18 billion actually goes to preventive mm. health care measures. Well, it it discourages me that I mean, when we know things like smoking... When people go to hospital, they go to the hospital because they are sick. They're, you know, wellness is an individual responsibility, but when you get sick, that's when you want service, whether you were taking care of yourself until the moment you got sick or not. We're all going to get old and die. That's, that's inevitable, regardless of how well we take care of ourselves through our lives. So eventually, we're going to get to that point. But do we have a condition that we need to see a doctor immediately? I'll uh, give you an example. Lots of chronic health care problems. There are lots of people who have chronic health care problems that flare up occasionally and then in the cycle kind of, uh, kind of remit a bit. It's important for patients to be educated about what requires a visit to the physician and what doesn't. Asthma is the best example of that that I can think of. Years ago, if you got an asthma attack, you went to the emergency department. These days, the job of people dealing with asthma is to teach patients how to monitor their bodies, teach them what triggers off the asthma, teach them how to use the medications themselves properly, and only go to the hospital when it gets to a certain point. 
and and that saves a lot of money even though asthma is a growing problem it's only in terms of the emergency department uh, a growing problem uh, primarily with children who of well, course do me, not have the ability to make those had, judgments if necessarily. If we had more of a free market in healthcare, I would think we'd have specialized clinics that deal only with asthma patients and would be available 24 hours a day. We could have specialized uh, in any area doctors should be able to be entrepreneurial and go into a certain business and offer their patients whatever services they're looking for in the healthcare field. Our whole bureaucratized and, and classified and, and prioritized processes that we go through. And, you know, every year they're taking away things from, from the healthcare system. Like uh, operations you could have had on whole hip two or three years ago, you can't get anymore. You have to pay your own way. And this is going to keep going right down the line as medical expenses rise and the service declines. And that's inevitable with all, uh, every, everything that the government runs works that way. And, and you know, you talk about uh, preventative uh, issues, Marion. Like it's the same philosophy you apply to the law when we were talking about proactive policing. That the police go out and try and, you know, prevent crimes, even though they don't know who they're going after. Is isn't that all part of the same ball of wax? Because I don't think certainly it is. Because you know, if we're getting at the root of problems people. instead of constantly dealing with the crisis end, constantly dealing with the illness as opposed to building the health that prevents the illness. If we keep on doing that, yes, it's going to cost us more and more. And I don't care whether those are private dollars or public dollars. The reality is if we don't get at the root of our problems, if we don't teach people to control their weight, if we don't teach people uh, to deal with smoking and alcohol uh, in an appropriate way, if we don't deal with Why do you people, have to teach them? Why don't you just make them pay for their own health care expenses? And boy, the lesson will be learned so Because the people fast. who have the biggest problems are not the people who have the money to pay. And uh, so you're just so, saying, so let them die. Is no, that what I'm you're saying? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that help should be directed only to people who need it, not to a universal health care system where prior to our bringing that in, 82% of the people already had adequate health care insurance. Well, they had, insurance some, health, they had some health care insurance. They didn't have adequate health care insurance. There are many, many people who lived through that era who will talk to you about the kid with the earache who ended up losing the hearing in that ear because the parents did not have the money that they needed over and above whatever health care they had because of course it still was uh, over over overcharging like like over the top of what the insurance company would pay Th there are lots of people walking around with long-term health conditions now as a result <clears throat> of not being able to get that care well you know that's that's a, that's a claim you're making that it's, <laughs> that it's the fault of the system I mean that's just the irresponsible action on one per person's part and again if they didn't it's have the money I'm responsible I'm not I'm not objecting to the government helping people who need need money you keep evading when your that kids issue. got it when your kids got an earache you've got to go through some process to get somebody to pay for the care give Don't me you a think break people Bob. should pay at least a nominal fee when they go to the doctor no, like when I, I go to the chiropractor, to I, I pay 20, 22 bucks every time I go. And all hip covers another I seven think or we, eight. We need to educate people that they are paying for their health care. That they don't like taxes, and you're quite right about that. None of us like the tax bill. But they like their OHIP. They need to, that connection needs to be made between the, 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 the taxes we pay and the services that are paid well, I think for what through the dollars like that we collect is, through taxes. the idea that they are protected from catastrophic loss in case they are struck with a serious illness. And there are many mechanisms to provide for that, insurance being the most primary one and the one that we should encourage the most. Um, as far as government assistance sure, goes... Sure, lots of go profits to, in the insurance business. 
Well, there that's be. the whole that's the whole issue, Bob. If you direct What's all the, the dollars profit? to providing the service instead of to providing pockets, uh, deep pockets for for people running insurance companies, whose Marianne, only job Marianne. is to try and cut back on I the amount rather, of care that people get. I would rather go to a doctor that's making a million dollars a year profit and is only charging me $20 a visit than go to a doctor who's losing $100,000 a year and still charging me $30 a visit. That's I a mean, ridiculous analogy, it, it's, Bob. But what I'm saying is that, what, that what's important to the customer is not profits that the, the service provider he goes to makes, but the price. You that's ask, all that matters. You ask people who, who deal with managed care in the United States where care is actually provided through insurance company-owned health care operations and you ask them about the services you talk about about uh, elective surgery procedures going going off OHIP like plastic surgery mm -hmm. or or uh, varicose veins and so on which are 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 cosmetic in in nature you ask the people who who have dealt with managed care owned by insurance companies in the United States and they'll tell you about the lack of testing for heart uh, issues testing for cancer issues because their insurance company who runs their physician and tells their physician what they can what they can actually uh, um, order for the patient uh, and 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 as a result there are people literally dying people who are dealing with problems that they needn't have dealt with and that's well documented well how's that any different from OHIP OHIP's telling us what it's paying for and what it's not paying for and you can't get a cataract operation in a certain city you have to go to another city it's the same thing I don't see how we're any better off except on top of having the same problem we had before, we've got these exorbitant taxes that are going to make it harder to deal with the problem in the future. Well, I don't see a future for our health care system run as it is by government now. It has to privatize. I think they're going to do it whether they say so or not. Got to take a break. We're listening to Left, Right, and Center. Be interested to hear what uh, you, the listener, is thinking on this one. 643-1290, star 1290 on the Cantel Network. It's Left, Right, and Center with Marion Boyd and Bob Metz. We'll be back after this on 1290 CJBK. Hey, welcome back to 1290 CJBK's Talk of the Town. You're listening to Left, Right, and Center, the final program of the year. And we're with Marion Boyd and Bob Medson. We've been talking about uh, emergency uh, rooms and, and how full they are and how difficult it is to get um, good health care, uh, particularly in this time where you, if you have the one flu, which is a huge, uh, you know, a huge sickness these days right now, mm -hmm. uh, coupled with being in a slot uh, of time where you're between Christmas and New Year's and you can't get your regular doctor, your family doctor, and you're faced with sitting in a, an emergency room. Infecting um, other people. Infecting other people. You know, well, you know, I had the flu last week. That's why I wasn't here at the show. And but when I went to the doctor, I just went into the walk-in clinic, and there was only one other person waiting there at the same time. This was in the middle of last hol holiday week. Well, there's a problem with walk-in clinics, of course, Bob. As you know, the walk-in clinics are supposed to advise people to go to their family doctor after they visit a walk-in clinic because there's no permanent record of that visit. It's very important that we record visits that we know what health care people have had and it's very important that um, family physicians follow what's what's going on with their patient because you can miss a lot if people uh, go to a whole lot of different physicians and there isn't there isn't some some sort of overview of what's going on so, they, so, so you're so saying when they go to an emergency they do keep track of it there they have to do a discharge report to the physician. And then they have to give it to the family physician? Is that what they, they do? They do a discharge and report. And what happens with physician. people who don't have family physicians? Well, see, that's the problem. 
part of our problem with emergencies is that there are a lot of people don't have a family physician. Mm -hmm. And they don't have a family physician for a number of different reasons. One, they may not be motivated to get a family physician. They may be somebody who sort of flies by the seat of their pants, hope they won't get sick, never develop a relationship with a with a physician, which which you know frankly is not not a wise idea mm -hmm. uh, for for most people because following it, patterns of healthcare is a very very important preventive measure. But that's that's a choice that some people make. Another one is, of course, that we have a we have a shortage of family physicians in this area. Uh, our Academy of Medicine and uh, the University of Western Ontario have been talking about this for some time. The difficulty of ensuring that when people move, uh, they they have a, a family physician. When a physician retires, that the patients that that physician has been caring for are able to 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 be transferred to another family physician. Uh, there's a lot of argument about what the optimum number of patients are that a, a family physician can actually deal with. Uh, the uh, College of Family Physicians recommends that a, a family physician uh, try to deal with about 1,500 patients on a, on a roster. But we know that many, many physicians in this city uh, are, are carrying many more patients than that, partly in an effort to, uh, to, d to deal with the shortages. But it does mean that you have to wait for visits and that sort of thing. Um, another another issue is that, that people may, in fact, well, want to get their primary care not from a physician, but from another source. There are people who choose chiropractors as their primary form of health care, or a nurse practitioner, or a naturopath. And they may, in fact, go that route, but those people may not have the capacity of referring them to specialists or referring them to the hospital when it's required. So all of I, I find it interesting that there's no shortage of physicians and doctors in those fields where people pay for their own, you know, to have to go to a chiropractor or someone, but there's a severe, severe shortage for, of doctors in the public free healthcare system. Now, doesn't that tell you something that that perhaps there's not enough incentive within the system, especially if doctors aren't supposed to view themselves as business people and as entrepreneurs, and that when they go into this line of work, where I would think it would be a, more of a career-oriented, uh, you know, very high self-esteem kind of a job, and they're treated like civil servants who politicians just routinely say, well, we're going to start putting you on fixed salaries, we're going to tell you where you can practice. That, I mean, Bob, that's simply not true. Uh, well, There's no way you can talk about a physician, a practicing physician in this province, unless they work directly for a psychiatric hospital, which is the exception, as being a civil servant. There's no way that you can do that. In fact, the doctors themselves would be furious. Where they get their money from and whether they're a civil servant are totally different issues. Well, they have a very strong bargaining agent in the Ontario Medical Association. They they deal. They have a lot. They wield a lot of power and a lot from? of decision making. The patients don't pay them, that, right? Yes, we do pay. Yes, patients pay physicians. No, we don't. We, we pay, pay the government our taxes. But, that's, but, but that tax guarantees no service. The government is not obliged to give me any service in, fact, in return for that tax. it is the government's job to guarantee the you service. I pay have no bearing to the services provided. If you look at the Ontario government annual reports, which I get at the office, they give you these pie charts, the government revenue and the government spending, two separate pie charts. And the, the ratios have nothing to do with each other. It's not like they, if they spend 37% of the budget on health care that they're exactly collecting 37% in taxes that go to, goes towards that. There's no real ratio. All our taxes go into one big pot, and then the government creates priorities. And it's not always health care. It might be education that gets the higher priority. It might be a welfare thing. But as long as all, all these services have to come out of the same pot, whenever you give money to one area, another area has to, by default, suffer. 
And that means that if we want more more uh, books in our classrooms, well, then some patient's going to have to do without no, health care somewhere That's a very simplistic going... view of, of how this all works. And I happen to well, have I'm a fair bit of experience. <laughs> yes, but when you simplify it, when you, when you put it out as that kind of a simplistic notion, it fools people into believing that there's no rhyme or reason for the way in which those allocations are done. We elect in a democracy well, a governments to make decisions and make priorities based on their, their uh, understanding of what the, the population is asking for. There is no question that the current government was told in the last election that if they didn't make health care and education a priority, they wouldn't get reelected. And that's what they're attempting to do. Mm -hmm. A lot of 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 and yet the, we still have the a decisions shortage. that we are still made. have you know big crowds it in the emergency room. It takes seven years. It takes seven years to train a physician. It takes seven years to to have someone go through the system and be be able to, able to practice. Be licensed. So what were we doing practice. seven years ago when we should well, have been anticipating today's demand? What government was in power enough, then? Interestingly enough, the entrepreneurial medical community came to governments across this country and said there was going to be an excess of physicians, and they pointed out that for every physician that begins to practice, it costs the government a hundred thousand dollars, and that the governments, all the governments, right across the province or across the country, needed to reduce the number of places at medical schools because there were going to be too many physicians. They came. There was a very, very strong recommendation. Well, that's why you have OMAs and the AMAs. They're like unions. Create a closed well, shop and restrict and, the number and, of and doctors and the And that's exactly what they did. Problem. And now, of course, they want to try and blame the governments. For, for doing what they did, and and they there was a lot of evidence from the the uh, uh, health economists the about variant. about that sort of thing. A private organization could not restrict the supply of practitioners to the marketplace unless the law gave them the clout to do it with. Well, so so to suggest that these organizations are are acting in their self interest, I think, is rather self evident. I mean, a doctor's organization is going to do what they can for doctors. Well, and that's and what they did. They came and they argued that, and they won the day because a lot of health economists, a lot of very, very qualified health economists, said the same thing. They said that as as we have a healthier population, although we have an aging population, it's a healthier population in general. We are going to need fewer. Uh, physicians than, 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 than we were training. Now, what they didn't take into account, of course, appropriately, was the retirement rate of physicians. They didn't take into account the numbers that would uh, leave and go to other countries. They didn't take into account uh, the fact that uh, uh, governments did not put in place uh, alternate uh, health care uh, uh, provision through nurse practitioners, for example. We only got the nurse practitioner bill through to allow nurse practitioners to do well-person care. When you say uh, they didn't take into account, who do you mean by they? I meant the health economists and the and the and the Canadian Medical Association in terms well, of well, they are just predictors and 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 interpreters of what they see in the yes. economy, but they don't determine what happens out in the marketplace. That's sort of more down to the industry itself, doctors, nurses, patients. That's true. And the whole system. So what they what if if their interpretation of what's going on is wrong, I don't see how that's relevant to anything really. Well, uh, how, how, uh, governments make decisions based on what they what we all would assume would be expert advice. And from time to time, there's no question. In retrospect, the expert advice has proven to be untrue. We see that all over so. the place. I don't think so. I think they are getting expert advice, but expert advice that has different goals in mind than, than, than the patient who may want health care. The expert advice is telling 
the government, listen, if you want to get maximize your votes next election, this is the area to concentrate health care on because there's more voters there. Well, and other areas will suffer. That's how they make expert decisions. I, I, no, in, that's, in not, that's not true. And in fact, part of the ratio and the, the mechanism here was supposed to be for doctors to be working with patients to begin to have patients use the system more effectively and efficiently. For example, not going to the doctor with the common cold, learning how to deal with. But how are you going to? How are you conflicts. ever going to solve that problem? You'll never solve it. Well, as yes, you as, can. As long as well, we'll never solve it if we in. decide we can. You can medicine educate. is not free, Bob. We all know that we pay for our medical system, and we all and know we, we that the demand that you should. talk mm -hmm. about in terms of reducing taxes—that if we are more efficient and effective about the way we use our health care system then we will find it possible I agree. to reduce taxes without reducing services. I'm trying to agree with you that people services. are abusing the system. I'm asking you that in the absence... I didn't say they were abusing the system. I said they need to be taught to use the system effectively and efficiently. We are not well, why, taught why do they how need to, to be care for that? ourselves. Because they're abusing the system. They're going when, no, they, when you think they shouldn't they be going, right? They are not abusing the system. They don't know how to look after themselves properly. In, when I was growing up, we had, first of all, in every school some presence of a public health nurse teaching us a bit about our bodies about about hygiene about nutrition about how you deal with minor health problems that went by the board in the early 80s when some brainy person decided that they were going to save money by taking public health nurses out of the schools we have a whole generation of young people who don't even really know how their bodies work in many cases because they don't, they may not follow phys ed classes, they may not take the advanced health classes, they don't even know how their body works, so they're not monitoring their, their, their health properly. Well, you're almost saying and they're that, not able that to we don't need it. our we doctors need to and nurses, teaching. and we're going to have this big health care system, no, and we're going to teach the populace that, how to take care of itself, I didn't so say it doesn't that, Bob. need the health care system. I said we need to use the health care system when we need to use it, not when we don't well, have to use it. Well, that gets me back to my question. How are you going to do that in the, the absence of a system where people pay for their own way? That would, that would solve the problem on both ends. No, it wouldn't because there are lots of people where people pay their own way. Lots of examples worldwide. We see lots of people dying who didn't need to die because they didn't have the money to get the health care that they needed. Worldwide, I, we're talking about Canada here, Marion. I don't think we're, we're in the same category. I'm talking about examples of where people pay for their own health care. We don't have that example in Canada, well, so we can't use Canada. In any, in any country where they pay for their he own health care and the country is relatively prosperous or one of the industrialized countries, I defy you to show me people dying in the street or not able to get health care regardless of what system they're on. And that holds true for the United States as well. Uh, you know, well, I, I, you just you, you, you need to you need to look a little bit more closely at the information that comes out of the United States. There are many people well, I, who I do not get the care that they need, and, I, and, and I die personal on average ten years earlier than they needed to from such simple heart conditions, for example, as could be treated. And that happens only among those who are not eligible for health care. And interestingly enough, those aren't the poorest people. Those are the people who are in the in the in the lower income group but don't qualify for for um, socialized medicine don't ca qualify for uh, the medicare uh, that that is available to the very poorest there well that's that again is a problem that you're not going to solve by putting them on a socialized medicare system i don't think it's going to solve anything i think you're still going to end up with the same sicknesses maybe delayed by a year or two or three or four but it's all going to still hit the system at some time because we're all going to age and die so the system has to be able to accommodate... Well, and that's the other part of, of teaching in the system, is teaching people about the fact that, yes, we are going to die, 
and that and that sometimes we demand too much of the healthcare system. We see people demanding extraordinary treatments when, in fact, they're being advised by physicians uh, that that's that's not an appropriate uh, route to take. That they, that they really need to be looking at at ways to live successfully with what they they the disease that they have. Well, if our healthcare is uh, and the program that we have is, is so good and is such a great idea. Why hasn't the, uh, the United States adopted it? Well, as you know, when Bill Clinton came in, that was something he wanted to do. Uh, Democrats in the United States have, have, have seen a, uh, an expansion of socialized medicine as an important thing. Uh, Bob's right about one thing. When the politics are against you, uh, very often governments may not do the right thing. But I, I think very, very clearly... When you, when you listen to a lot of folks in the United States, they, they see us as a dream and they warn us consistently not to fall into the trap of insurance-based medicine, which, which Bob is, is suggesting, because they talk about that as, as one of the worst evils I, of their very, uh, very wealthy society. I don't purport that insurance is perfect, but I think insurance, a lot of the problems with insurance is, again, the laws and the court decisions that have come down on insurance companies. Um, it has to be as competitive a field as possible, but the point is you cannot shoot for some perfect, perfect, you know, ideal, 100% idealistic, perfect coverage for everybody. It's not, it doesn't exist under either system. And in a, in a government-run system, you have so many inefficiencies that are hidden from the, from the patient that are absorbed in other ways and paid for in other ways through society that there's almost no way to measure them. I mean, you have this whole extra bureaucracy of government in the middle that has to have its cut out of the pie. And that becomes part of your of your health care plan. Let's take a let's take a call. We have Janet on the line. Janet, welcome to the show. Good morning. I thought you needed some company there. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, gee, this is a red letter day. I am on Marion's side today. <laughs> Marion, I was raised in Britain, and of course we have the national health over there. Yes. And so I have experience with that. And we had clinics that we went to. Mm -hmm. And if one doctor wasn't on call, another was that would yeah. be familiar with us, you know. Yeah, and have your records. Yeah, uh, everything was still in the very same spot. Mm -hmm. And um, they gave each doctor time for vacations without you going to somebody you've never laid eyes on before. Right. I mean, I have a condition here. And when my doctor was away out of the country, I had to go to all just to get a prescription filled, had to go and have... A doctor I'd never laid eyes on. Right. Take off my dressings and examine them to prove that I have this thing. You know, yeah. I mean that's that's ridiculous. I was in agony at the time. Absolutely. Um, but also, please. Now, where did uh, that happen? Pardon? Where Where did that happen? Right here in this city. Right here. So so, you're criticizing the system we have now, which is the government paid for. I'm not criticizing, uh, yeah, I will criticize to some extent what we have now, but I think the moves that they're planning on yeah. are going to help that, um, because then I wouldn't have that problem. There'd be somebody within my um, group that would be aware of my situation, would be able to look at my records, yeah. would not be giving me the wrong prescription because they didn't know I was, I was on something else and shouldn't be taking this one. And these are there's so many rooms right now for for major catastrophes when you walk into a walk-in clinic. Absolutely, and we and there's some evidence of that. I wouldn't go near one. Yeah. And another experience I had 
we were in the United States, or at least my husband was, and I ended up having to go because he had a heart attack. Mm -hmm. Thank God we had out of province insurance because it would. My husband was in hospital for five days, and it cost the bill would have been twenty-seven thousand yeah. dollars. Yeah. And how much was the out of province insurance premium compared? About a hundred bucks. Well, there you go. That's the private option. That's what I'm endorsing. Well, yeah, but if we, do you think we're going to get it for a hundred dollars? Period. You just did. Uh, no, no, she cost me twelve hundred dollars a year then. No, he was only gone for, well, I don't know how a much. Few, it a few weeks, yeah. yeah. But if you were to compare that to what you are, you are paying in taxes. But I, I need to interrupt here because, of course, Janet understands that although the out-of-country insurance covered the amount over and above what OHIP already paid, mm -hmm. OHIP paid the $400. Yeah. And, and, and so the, our OHIP system then got topped up by the insured system. That's right. It yeah. didn't pay at all for darn right. sure. But, but, but the cost in the United PSI, States I'm old higher. enough to remember we had PSI. Yeah. Um, that covered everything. That was when... Remember, OHIP was just hospital, sure. and it came in, and yeah. then it was OMSIP, and whatever. Excuse me. I think I need to go see a doctor. Uh, <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I don't go to a doctor for every nope. little thing. I have a condition that I've had 21 years. I haven't been to a specialist to see him about it in two years because I can monitor myself. Mm -hmm. I'm l I learned he's told me when to do this and when to do that. And so I'm not abusing the system, but when I have to go into emergency for any reason, I really get annoyed when I see all these, not, you know, <laughs> children in there with a cold that just got a little worse that could be taken care of at home if people only you would know. do it. Janet, thank you for your call this morning. We do appreciate Where it. Go? We're going to uh, move on to another caller. Uh, Bill's been waiting online. Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you. I, I, we must be a lot of prophet, really prophetic people. I, I, I don't know, you know, just listening to that, you know, uh, obviously there's uh, Marion and, and that lady, you know, they, they, they've got it all together and the rest of us are pretty pathetic. Um, but I, I, the, thing, the thing is, you know, you, you talk about, about OHIP and the cost of that. I'm paying through my, my employer almost as much as what I used to have to pay for OHIP when we used to have to pay it out of, out of our paycheck. And, uh, That's for your extended, get... your extended health care benefits. Yeah. What is considered now extended health care, which used to be the norm before. No, no. The cost of prescriptions, the cost of ambulance, the cost of, of a nurse if you need one at home, all of that was always extended care. Yeah. Uh, but, but now, you know, to get a semi-private room, you're talking $200 a day. To get a private room, you're probably talking between two and $300 a day. So you've got to have coverage to, 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 to have that. Well, yes, if you insist on having private or semi-private, yeah. But, uh, well, I mean, it's, it's, you know, just the... That's where the uh, choice comes in. You know, and, and, and if I have problems with my feet, you know, that's uh, to, to get special stuff. Uh, you know, a uh, piece of material in, in my shoes so that I can walk properly. You know, again, you know, like, but that's but that's the extra. That that shouldn't be the standard. Well, that that's what your extended health care insurance is paying for. What Bob is suggesting is that you shouldn't only have to pay for extended health care services uh, like 
having the choice of, of, a, of, a, of a, a private or a semi-private as opposed to a, a ward bed, but that you should have to pay the whole bill directly or the pay thing, the whole bill through insurance. Rather the thing than is, if the hospital doesn't have the ward, then, then they put people in the semi-private or the private if they don't have a ward to give them. But if they don't have insurance, they, they don't pay for it. No. They, they get it. They get it, but, but because, they don't but pay for it. Because I have insurance, I have to pay for it. You see, the, the whole issue, when we talk about health care here, we're not even really talking about health care. We're not talking about what goes on between a doctor and a patient. In a room. No, exactly. We're not. talking about how to get money from the patient to the doctor for the service that the doctor's providing. And well, I'll tell you how you can put more money that way is by taking hospitals and, and putting them uh, something, you know, like saying, giving them so much money for management and so much money for care. Because uh, I've seen, I mean, I work in a hospital, and I, w I won't say where. Well, isn't that what I've, they do now? Yes. Well, I don't know. Yes, Obviously, the they're giving them a lot of money for, for management, exactly then, because that. I've seen the management grow incredibly. Well, I... And where one person was doing a job, there's now three or four doing it. In, in an expanded hospital setting, we've also seen many efficiencies in terms of joint vice presidents, for example, between the hospitals and and in terms of uh, and I'll bet, I'll bet Marion if you took a look at the, the amount of management they've got it hasn't gone down hardly anything well I surely hope you're wrong well you may hope it but I can I work in a facility I can tell you it hasn't well I, I think that's a that's a good challenge and I think that if in fact that's the case we all should be concerned it's not see, it's time, certainly not what the, the annual report back on money, it's 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 the, the little guys that get laid off it's not the management it's not the, the big people it's 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 the little guys making you know the 28 29,000 dollars a year they're the ones well, that get in fact uh, in fact if door. you look at the vice president uh, level at the hospitals uh, there were uh, a large number of vice presidents who were who were let go and now joint vice presidents between St. Joseph's and and uh, LHSC which which suggests uh, that although they they there obviously would only be a certain economy of scale that that at that level of management there has been a reduction in the number of but all now, these new positions that may not be vice president how much money are they making compared to what the vice president used to make i i think that's a good question and i think it would be very important for the hospitals and in as far their as you're talking about government and you being you part of government that. governments get elected every so many years and if they get a majority government they can do whatever they please and there is nothing or nobody that can stop them well in fact <laughs> they, they they need to get elected the next time and 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 obviously that's that's the issue if people don't like what you do you don't get elected the next time and the government that comes in afterwards can can undo what you've done we've seen that happen a number of times now in 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 ontario so good points we're going to take another call and gil's been waiting hey gil how are you i'm good i'm good good morning good morning good morning to marion good morning and to bob um bob made a comment a few minutes ago that i don't want to let him get away with uh, but I'm going to address the question to Marion. Bob said that uh, uh, single government Medicare is an inefficient bureaucracy and, and the cost is increasing. That's not true. The studies in the U.S. clearly show that the U.S. multiple insurance company system is the in inefficient one. That's correct. We, we, we're looking at, at, at a difference uh, between uh, 947 uh, uh, per, per capita, I think it is, or, yeah. Yeah, and, and 14. 
But what, what outrages me is I don't think you can you can make a comparison like that because you're comparing apples and oranges. No, you're not. When, no, you're when, not. When, no, when not. people say that a particular private health care insurance plan is is inefficient or not providing the same needs that perhaps some government plan might provide, I would agree with that because they're not there to do that. And very few plans are there to offer free, upfront, no deductible. That's not uh, the point, Bob, and you know it. And I, I can't believe that well, you keep what, what saying do you that mean? either you're a liar or you're really uninformed. A single-payer government monopoly system is more efficient. More efficient. The studies show that in Ontario and in Even Canada. Even the Fraser Institute agrees with that, Gil. That's right. In the United States, the insurance companies fight amongst themselves about who's responsible for paying. Uh, in a hospital, they have a floor of, bu of bureaucrats from the insurance companies fighting over who's responsible. The costs are higher, Bob. That is the truth. You accept that. Stop saying that, that that's not the case because it's a lie when I, you say I, that. I was saying that cost was irrelevant. I'm looking at the price to the patient. No, you that's didn't say it was relevant. irrelevant. You said that the government Medicare is. was more expensive. It's the same old well, lie well, that you is, always put well, forward. Well, it is more expensive because there's more people using it who otherwise might not use it. Well, you said there's it was inefficient. People. That was well, that, what you said. Well, that's part of the inefficiency, well, isn't then it? more people are using it? No, it's not. If you're you have, confusing apples if you and have, oranges. If you have a zero cost price, you're going to lead yourself towards an infinite demand. No, you're not. No, you're not. Well, no, sure, you're, sure you're, you are. That you're not, you only are doing that if within that uh, socialized medical system, you are not encouraging physicians to encourage efficient use. I mean, if you arrange it the way, the way it appears to be now, where, in fact, all you're doing is treating illness and injury rather than dealing with the whole health of the person, how do you, you may indeed have that kind of situation. How do you encourage physicians to do that? By making them fully responsible, the family physician fully responsible for the entire health status of the person. And, and, well, what does and, that mean? And, 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 and preventive medicine. Preventive medicine. Okay, and then if the person gets sick anyway, that's the doctor is responsible, what are you going to do to them? But they're not going to get sick anyway. That's the whole that's point the about point. preventive medicine and about health and safety and about public health. Like now in Canada, the incidence of TB is rising dramatically because of the homeless people on the streets of Toronto and London. That's a public health crisis and it's outrageous and it's the consequence of not paying attention to homelessness. That's right. Giving people housing is a public health measure. That is an, a very important thing. We well, had TB 100 years ago because people, people is a public in bad health measure. It is. Well, then you, the government might as well take over everything, take over our lives. And I did not get say that, Bob. You're reducing my argument that. to the absurd. Whenever someone scores a good point on you, you immediately turn it into, well, the government's going to provide everything. I did not say that. Well, I don't and think, you know that. I don't think you can talk about uh, an efficient health care system and the proper means of providing that care economically and then bring in issues of poverty and housing and things but of that nature. But they are determinants of health, Bob. Well, everything is, and so is genetics, and we're not talking about no, genetics ev everything here is Everything is not... Poverty is an incredible part of health, Absolutely. and if you tolerate the outrageous poverty, which you, Bob, do, and which you encourage the outrageous poverty, then you're going to get TB. That's how it works. Is that, how it, is that what happens? That's what's going to happen. You and and so because I make very little money, pay, I'm, getting, I'm going to get sick. Is that what you're telling me? That's what's going to happen. If middle-class people insist on being so selfish and, and refusing to pay their taxes for TB programs, well, then how, they're going how can to end you say that's TV? happening in Canada, where we already have... You see, you're talking about problems that exist now, that you're blaming on the system that I'm espousing, yet we don't have that system. Why the system TV? we have is the one that you folks support. Why has tuberculosis gone up? Why, yeah, Bob? Well, that's what I'm asking you. Because of the it, poverty, because of the homelessness. Well, what poverty? 
You're oh. telling me a person who's poor can't go into a hospital and have right. himself looked at? They can't get they can't get enough to eat. They don't have a safe place to live. I'm going to have to call time out. You're listening to Left, Right, and Center on 1290 CJBK. Back after this. Welcome back to Left, Right, and Center, the final edition for 1999. Bob and Marin, have a great Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. And Safe we'll, and happy. That's right. And we'll see you back here next Wednesday. And I think I know where we can pick up the, the torch here. <laughs> <laughs> Here's an issue that's not going to go away right away. Bob Metz and Marion Boyd have been our guests on Left, Right, and Center. We thank you for listener participation. Next hour, it is Ask the Experts with expert Bud Polhill from Bud Polhill Automotive as our guest at 1230. Right now, it's the Chum Radio News, and that's coming up right at 12 on 1290 CJBK.